Well, good morning. And welcome again to Waters Church. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here at the North Attleboro campus. Special welcome to everybody who is here for the first time. And if you have a Bible or a smartphone Bible, I'd like you to go right now to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to continue with this series. We started last week on Back to Church Sunday, and if you're here again and you've uh, come for the second time, so glad about that. We don't want you just to come once. We want you to keep coming and make this your home church. And so Daniel chapter 1, we're going to get into the ground level now of the story. Last week I said, and, and we talked about this, that we were going to look at the book of Daniel in a big picture context and understand one key idea from those first two verses of the book of Daniel. And that is that no matter what happens in the world, we have to understand that over all other rulers, God rules. God is in charge. And so we talked about that last week, and we were looking at the big picture, that ultimately God's plan cannot be thwarted, cannot be stopped. God's ultimate destiny for humanity will be accomplished no matter who is in charge on our world or in our country or in our lands. Now this week, we're going to take it at a ground level. We're going to look at Daniel. We're going to look at what he did and how he lived and some of the decisions that he made and how God blessed those decisions. And so today we're going to look first at this kind of strange, kind of small, kind of look, seemingly insignificant moment of Daniel's life. But sometimes the, what we think is insignificant are really the moments that God uses very significantly. And so today we're going to look at one of those decisions from Daniel. So Daniel chapter 1. And uh, take out your notes. Also, I want you to fill in the blanks on your note pages. I uh, just want to let you know that uh, you get extra credit in heaven for filling out the note pages in church. Yes. So when you get there, just show Jesus the notes. I took notes. And you'll be good. Amen. That won't get you to heaven. That won't get you to heaven. That'll just get you extra credit in heaven. Just making sure we know that. Only Jesus gets you to heaven. Amen, somebody. <laughs> okay, enough about the notes. Let's look at verse 3. It says this in verse 3 of Daniel 1. Then the king commanded Asphanaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And so here's the context. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, brings into the kingdom, brings into the palace, the best of the best of the men of Israel, the young men, their um, MIT students, their Harvard students, the best that they have to offer. Why is he doing this? He wants to absorb Israel into Babylon. He wants to take that nation, not just destroy their temple, not just take their treasure, not just overrule their land and exile their people. He wants to wipe them off the face of the earth. He wants to annihilate their memory. So he's going to take the best of the best men. He's going to lure them with enchantments and enticements. He's going to offer them a world-class education, and he's going to teach these young men to be Babylonians. And this is kind of a metaphor for you and I. If you're in Christ, you, your, uh, your identity and your citizenship is sealed in heaven with Jesus. You believe that? 
If you're in Christ, you are saved. You are a new creation, the Bible says. You are no longer who you were. Now you are a new person in Jesus. Because when Jesus saved you, he didn't just improve you. Jesus totally redeemed your life. Now, it doesn't seem like that all the time because we still have to work out a lot of what Jesus has put in. But when you become Christian, when you come to Christ, here's what happens spiritually. God drops a seed in your heart. That seed germinates in the soil of your life. And over time, it grows and it starts to blossom in your life. And you develop a new character and a new attitude and a new perspective and you have this eternal thing done inside of you that has sealed you once and for all in Jesus Christ. And, I, and if you're a Christian, this is the wonderful blessing of, of being in Jesus. The work for you being right with God has been done. It's over. It's finished. Now you're, the rest of your life is figuring out what that means. And so sometimes it's hard to figure out what that means. Do you know why? Because we live in Babylon. How many know you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you love Jesus, but listen, this world feels like Babylon. And you feel like Daniel was a physical exile, you feel like spiritual exiles. You go to work and it's just, man, this is not my home. This, is, this feels so uncomfortable. And it's like, it's Sunday morning today. And it's wonderful to be in church, and you love church, and it's great to be here, and you feel the presence of God. And I don't know about you, but when the worship was happening today, I was just, I was just totally loving the worship and the presence of God. But how many know you got to go to work tomorrow? You got to go to work maybe tonight. I, and I feel bad for you if you got to go tonight. But listen, this is, this is what happens. You come to church, and it's like, oh, oh, I feel Jesus. I feel God. I feel at home. And then you go to work, and it's like, not home. This is uncomfortable. This is not me. These people are weird. <laughs> Maybe your Babylon is your house. Maybe you're one of the only people in your house that believes in Jesus, that truly loves Jesus. And you know that there's, there's hope for your family, but sometimes it doesn't seem like it. And you want to reach them, but they are just so hard. And maybe your home is your Babylon. And maybe you're in school. All you young people, you're in school or or you're going to college now, or you're about to go to college, or you're in high school. Man, I'll tell you something, nothing feels more like Babylon than public high school. I know, because I went there. It's tough, it's hard, everybody else is doing one thing, and, and there's the pressure, the pressure that squeezes in on you to do what just everybody else does. Because listen, this is why everybody deep down inside has this inner longing. It's been given to us by God to belong somewhere. And when you become a Christian, you no longer belong here. And it's difficult. So we are in Babylon. But I got good news for you. Every single one of you, every person who is Christ's follower and a son of God or a daughter of God through Jesus, guess what? I got great news for you. You can be blessed in Babylon. You have the potential. You can flourish right where you are. At the job, in your home, at school. And I got good news. 
Everybody, God wants you to flourish right where you are. He wants you to be an example of, of how good your God is. He wants you to be a shining city on a hill. Jesus even said it. He said, let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they're going to praise your Father which is in heaven. That's what we're going to see from the life of Daniel. He was blessed in Babylon. How many of you, you want to be blessed right where you are? Listen to me very carefully. Blessing has nothing to do with where you are, what you have, or what people call you. Blessing has everything to do with the decision that you make in your heart before your God. And this is what I want you to fill in in your notes. There's a, little, there's a couple of blanks. There's a line there. Here's the theme of the message. And I want you to fill it in. It's not who you are or where you are that ultimately matters in the kingdom of God. It's what you are. It's what you are. And what you are is the summation of your decisions, your choices, the, 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 the uh, convictions of your heart that you do not let other people dictate. But you say, I know who I am in God. I know who I am in Christ. I might be in exile spiritually, but I'm going home someday. And until I go home, I'm going to make decisions that are going to glorify and honor my God so that when my light shines, people will see my good works and they will praise my Father which is in heaven. This can be the reality of your life, but there's some things that you need to do. Um, let's look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, the king, Nebuchadnezzar again, assigned them, these are the young men of Israel, a daily portion of food that the king ate. Now this is the king's food. Somebody say, it's the king's food. This is good food. This is not old country buffet, people. This is the best of the best. I am talking about prime choice beef, burgers that are about as thick as your hand, I'm talking about awesome, you know, lobster and shellfish and crab and king crab legs, anybody? Hallelujah. <laughs> this is the king's food. And look what it says. And the wine that he drank, this is not Miller Lite. This is the good stuff. The high-end, high-quality, top-notch Chateau Bordeaux 67. Is that a good wine? I don't even know. <laughs> So he gives them the best food, the best wine, and look what it says, and they were to be educated for three years. Not just the best food, the best wine, the best education. The Yale of Babylon, the Harvard of Babylon. And at the end of their education, check this out, they were to stand before the king. Not just the best food, not just the best wine, not just the best education, but the best opportunity. The most prestigious position in all the realm. Notice what's happening here. I, I want to make a point. This is not in my notes, but this just came to my mind. Many people feel that Satan only tempts them with bad stuff. But do you know that his best material is saved for people who resist the bad stuff? And then he comes and he lures you with all the good stuff. This is the test that Daniel's facing. This is the test that his three friends are facing. Satan's not trying to tempt them with destruction. Satan's trying to tempt them with uh, uh, opportunity and prestige and importance. And those things can also lead us away from God. 
Maybe that's some of you. Maybe you're in a job where you're in a place where you got this great opportunity, but you know there are opportunities that await you if you just abandon some of your principles. And you'll get ahead. And there's that opportunity, and it's luring you, it's pulling on you. This is what Daniel's facing. Here's, here's, uh, here's what it says, verse 6. Among these men with the best education, the best opportunity, the best jobs, and the best positions were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Now they changed their names. Look at what verse 7 says. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, which means uh, Baal save his life. Uh, Daniel, by the way, means God is my judge. Uh, Hananiah, he changed to Shadrach, Mishael, he called Meshach, Azariah, he called Abednego. Now those names were all uh, directed toward Yahweh. Like one of them means Yahweh has helped, another one means uh, Yah who is like Yahweh, and another one means Yahweh has been gracious. But they take all that away, all their names, and they give them new names, they give them new uh, identities, and these, all, all these names... It's kind of funny that we talk about them being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but those are actually their Babylonian pagan deity names. And their real names were, as you see there, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and those are their real godly names. So they're getting new names. They're getting called something other than what they are. Again, it has nothing to do about where you are, or what people call you, or who you are, that matters. It's what you are deep down inside. How do I become blessed in my Babylon, blessed in my family, blessed in my job? How? Well, let's look at verse 8. In all these things, in all the blessing that God has given Daniel, here's what it says. I mean, that, that Nebuchadnezzar has lured with Daniel. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. I love that verse. But Daniel resolved can we say those three words together? But Daniel resolved. Number one thing that you need to be blessed in Babylon, we need resolve. We need resolve. I believe with all of my heart that the reason why we are sitting here today talking about this man named Daniel from 2,500 years ago, I believe that it is all because of those three words. Those three words set the tone for his life. He made a decision in his heart. What was the decision? Not to defile himself with the king's food. You say, well, what's, what's wrong with good food? I love good food. Well, the Jews had laws about the kinds of food that they would eat. Now, under the new covenant, we don't have these laws. Uh, Peter gets this vision from God in Acts, and God says you can eat everything because, it, it, you know, the, the work of redemption is done. But before this, under Israel, and still to this day, many Jews will not eat most Jews will not eat pork, they will not eat shellfish, they will not eat certain things because they need to have this diet that is maintained. This was Daniel's, this was Daniel's uh, predicament. He had this diet that he had to maintain, and so what's he going to do? You're given the best food, the best opportunity, the best education. You're in Babylon. Nobody could blame you, Daniel. Just take a couple of bites. It's good food. I mean, after all, the, tent, the temple's destroyed. The nation's been judged. It looks like they're going to wipe off Israel off the face of the earth. It looks like, Daniel, it looks like you're the only one. So why bother? Anybody ever feel like that? Why bother to do what God wants me to do when it looks like everybody else doing what God doesn't want them to do, and they're all getting away with it? Anybody ever feel like that? And it looks like that's the way you got to go, because when in Rome, when in America, 
When in Massachusetts, especially when in Massachusetts, my goodness. And it seems like we should just go with the flow. Nobody can blame us. God will forgive us. No, Daniel didn't say that. He resolved. And I look at this word, Daniel resolved. You know, there's many uh, translations of the Bible. I don't have to tell most of you that. I read from the ESV, the English Standard Version. That's my favorite version. That's, by the way, God's favorite version. <laughs> Some of you read from the New International Version. God will forgive you. But I, no, I'm just kidding. I looked it up in this verse in all the translations, and, and all the translations kind of give you a new nuance. In fact, I encourage that. Read from other translations. They will give you a nuance that you won't see in other translations. And so the New Living Translation says this, but Daniel was determined. Somebody say determined. The New, the new American Standard, the NISB, says it like this. Daniel made up his mind. He made up his mind. The Hebrew, the translation literally from the Hebrew, he set his heart upon. I like that one because, because here's, here's what he was doing. Daniel was telling his heart what to do. So many people let their hearts tell them what to do. We, we live in a culture and a generation where it is all about my feelings. It feels good. It can't be wrong. We love each other. <laughs> and we divorce. Something happens. We divorce our brains from our hearts. We just cut it off. Like, and we live with this thing just leading us. And young ladies, you do this all the time. But I love him. He doesn't have a job. But I'll love him into one. No, you <laughs> <laughs> Don't divorce your brain from your heart. God gave you a heart. God gave you a brain. Stop letting your heart tell your brain what to do and start letting your brain tell your heart what to do. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how many Christians do this. Well, it feels right. Where? In my heart. Have you read what the Bible says about your heart? It's bad. It's not good. Jesus said, out of the heart of man, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, murders, lies, fornications, adulteries, jealousy, bitterness, envy, slander, and the like. And you want to trust that? <laughs> Jeremiah said, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Genesis chapter 6 says that, Adam, that, that God was sad that he made man because every inclination of his thoughts was only evil all the time. That's what the Bible says about your heart. And you're going to sit there and say, well, I'm trusting my heart. <laughs> Are you crazy? <laughs> your heart needs to be saved. Your heart needs to be redeemed. And only Jesus can save your heart. He can give you a new heart. That's what Ezekiel said. And he wants to turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh so that you can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Don't trust your heart. Ask Jesus to save your heart. But Daniel resolved. He told his heart what to do. He said, heart, stop telling me what feels right. I want to tell you what is right. And so it says he resolved. By the way, resolve is not an accident. If you want to make resolves, it's not going to happen by accident. I, th I like to say it like this, that my definition for the word resolve is to decide beforehand. To decide beforehand. 
What I mean by that is you make the decision to do or not to do something before the opportunity ever prevent, presents itself. That you already made up your mind. I am not going to go there. I am not going to talk to her because all she ever does is gossip, gossip, gossip. I'm not going to talk. Make up your mind before the decision is made. Young people, listen to me. Do you know that theologians tell us, and it's accurate, it's accurate, that Daniel and his three friends were in their mid-teens at this point? They were 14 to 15 years old. These are teenagers, young teenagers. Listen to me very carefully. Uh, the world might have an agenda for you, and, and the church might ignore you, and people might not believe in you, but I got good news for all the teens today. God believes in you. God believes in you. God can use you right now. Don't wait till you're in your 20s. Please don't fall for that stupid line in the world that you got to go and sow your wild oats and do your thing and have your fun and then get serious with God. You might not have that time. Make a decision now in this stage of your life. And I find this, that, that, that subsequent decades are blessed by the faithfulness in previous decades. You want your 20s blessed? Give God your teens. You want your 30s blessed? Give God your 20s. You want your 40s blessed? Give God your 30s. You want your 50s? Give, it goes right on down the line. Listen, God blesses subsequent decades of your life when you have given him previous decades of your life. Now is the time to make decisions so that when the opportunity to sin presents itself, you don't do it. You resolve this. You can tell that decision. <laughs> Me and God already talked about you. We already made up our minds. Sorry, not doing it. Young, young ladies, young men, sex, your, your, your sexuality, your, your sex life, give it to God now. Before that person comes along with that lie that they love you, that they care about you, that it's time to take the relationship to the next level. And you can say, no, 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 you don't understand. I already talked to God about this years ago. Some crazy preacher at Waters Church, he was telling me to do this, I did it. We talked about you two years ago. You're a liar in Jesus' name. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> Make the decision beforehand. That's what it means to resolve. Some of you, you gotta make decisions that aren't necessarily even hard and fast choices in the Bible. Like, I don't know about you, but I recognize, and you probably do too, there's a lot of gray area. Yes? There's like black and white, we all know, don't kill anybody, that's, yeah, that's wrong. But then there's a lot of gray area. What do you do with that gray area? Some of you are gonna have to make decisions about the gray area before you ever get close to the line. Like for some of you, um, I'm not saying that drinking alcohol is a sin, but for some of you it is, say, it is a sin. It's because it's gonna lead to something worse. And you need to make the decision now, I'm not gonna touch liquor. And for some of you, it's a TV show. And it's not like watching TV is a sin either, but, but for some of you, it is a sin because it just leads you to anger, or it leads you to lust, or it leads you to arrogance, or it leads you to envy and materialism. And it's just like, I just don't need that. I don't need to feed myself that, that food. 
And I'm not saying, again, listen, listen to me very carefully. This is not saying that everything is a sin. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that sometimes you need to manage the, the gray area long before you ever slip into the black area. And make the decision beforehand. That's what, G, that's what Daniel does. Second thing I want to say is this. It was a small decision. It was a small thing. It wasn't big. It was like food. <laughs> like, you know, Daniel, just don't kill anybody. Come on, just try to get along. But listen, I, I think that God watches the small things. God, God, do you realize that everything that God ever started, started small? Starts this huge nation of Israel, still in existence today, with one man. Everything he does, he starts with something small. That's what Jesus said. This, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds. And, and it grows to become the biggest of all the plants. And I'm thinking about some of you, that the test that you're going through right now, it's small. And here's what Jesus said. If you're faithful in the small things, God will give you the big things. The problem with many of you is you're failing the small tests. I think about us. We, we don't test things with big tests first. You make something. You make a chair. You sit on it very softly first, right? You make that small test. The other day, yesterday actually, I hung a rope swing in our backyard for our kids. I did that because I'm a great father. I didn't just hang it and then just decide, I'm going to swing on this and just, you know, test it out with all my weight. Never, never, never. So I go to the rope and I, I tug a little bit. It's a small test. It's, can, it, can it handle that? Okay, can it handle this test? Can it handle this test? Then I bring my son along and I say, okay, Connor, your turn. Because <laughs> I'm a great father. <laughs> I'm like, all right, Cheryl, your turn. My wife, okay, it holds her. It's ready for me. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But we, we test things small first. Guess what? God's the same way. He's putting little tests into your life. And if you keep failing those little tests, please don't expect God to trust you with the big stuff. You say, well, doesn't God know my heart? Yes, he wrote about it. I already shared with you. He knows your heart stinks. You need to pass those small tests. I think about with money. I mean, this is the big one for me. Uh, test. The test that God puts on all of us is tithe. It's a test. Will, will you, God even says in Malachi 3.10, test me. It's not about God testing you all the time. It's about you testing God. See how God will come through. You bring him the tithe. You give the tithe. You release the tithe. Watch the 90% get blessed beyond the 100% because God is that good. It's a small thing, though. It's like so small, and it's like, you know, uh, this is what happens with many people. You tithe when you're making this much, but you start to make this much, and you cut back. Like, whoa, whoa, God was faithful there. Don't cut back now because you're here. You'll never get here. It's a test. Amen. What resolves do you need to make? What resolves do you need to make now? Maybe it's time to cut off that toxic relationship. Maybe it's time to start tithing. Maybe for some of you, it's time to carve out 10 to 15 minutes of every day to spend in the, in the Word. Just 10 to 15 minutes, seriously. We can give three hours of our day to law and order. For heaven's sakes. I was in a hotel the other day. Law and order was on at 10 a.m. Who needs law and order at 10 a.m.? It's like alcohol, man. Are you serious? 
You need to watch that show at 10 a.m.? Get a life, get a job, for heaven's sake. But we can't carve out 10 to 15 minutes for God's word. The word that brings life, the word that feeds, the word that nourishes, the word that sustains, the word that Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Get that time in with God's word. It'll nourish your life. It's a resolve. It's a decision. It's a choice. This is how you get blessed in Babylon. Amen, somebody? Uh, number two, we not only need resolve, we need the right approach. As we're living in Babylon and we're surrounded by all these strange and ridiculous beliefs and, and li- lifestyles, um, uh, it's great to have godly decisions. But godly decisions without proper etiquette is destructive. Here's what Daniel says, Daniel does. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he, what? Asked. He asked. He did not preach. He did not push. He did not shove. He did not force his beliefs. He asked. He was subtle. He was kind. He was compassionate. Here's the thing I want you to hear. You can honor God and respect people at the same time. In fact, every Christian in the house, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Being a Christian does not authorize you to be a judgmental jerk. It does not authorize you to worry about the sins of everybody else. Our Savior taught us to take care of the log in our eye before we worry about the speck in everybody else's eye. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, don't even judge anybody outside of the faith. That's not our job. If they're not Christians, that's not your responsibility. If they are Christians, it is your responsibility. But if they're not Christians, you don't have to worry about them. Paul says God will take care of the ungodly. God will take care of the unbelievers. You worry about the house of God, the house of faith, and yourself most of all. The right approach. And that there's a way to be a Christian that that entices people to find out who your Savior is. And there's a way to be a Christian that drives them away. I love Daniel's approach. 14 years old, and he's just so wise. There's tons of scriptures in the New Testament to back this up. Uh, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with who? Everyone. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11. Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Don't get involved in everybody else's business. Uh, to work with your hands as we instructed you that, may, that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Um, uh, uh, what happens with Daniel is he approaches this man who's in charge of his meals and he, he asks him for permission to not eat. And here's what it says in verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. God can give you Favor and compassion in the sight of those who don't even believe in Jesus. Right where you are. God can give your supervisor, give, give you favor and compassion with your supervisor. Well, well, how? You need the right approach, friend. You need the right approach. You need to stop being belligerent. You know, even Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. What was he saying? Be careful who you share this stuff with. This is sacred stuff. 
Some of you, you keep talking to the same person who just hates everything there is about Jesus, and you love it. You almost love it. You get into these arguments, and la, 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 and he's la, 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 and it looks ridiculous, and everybody at the job is sick of you too, and it's like, listen, you're a Christian. Shut up in Jesus' name. Seriously, because you need not just resolve and not just conviction. You need compassion for other people. Do it the right way. And this is what the Bible says, Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I love that one because I want my enemies to be at peace with me. You can't stop yourself from having enemies, but you can change the relationship uh, quota there, the, the relationship quotient there. So Daniel uh, does something. Let's look at verse 10. Uh, and the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, this is verse 10, chapter 1, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and drink. Why should he see that you are in worse condition than all the youths of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. He's got a point. He's got a point. He's like, look, if you look bad, if you look emaciated and you don't look healthy, I'm in trouble. And here's what Daniel does. Verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Somebody say 10 days. By the way, 10 is a number for testing in the Bible. Every time you see the number 10, it's God's testing somebody. And again, that's the tithe. One-tenth is a test. And here's what it says. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then he says, then let our appearance and the appearance of the ewes who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. This is what Daniel does. He makes a deal. He's being shrewd. Didn't we talk about this two weeks ago with Jesus? He wants us to be shrewd. He wants us to be wise in how we deal with people around us. Uh, first, um, Colossians 4, 5 says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. If you're a Christian, wonderful. Now, how you treat outsiders matters significantly. Walk in wisdom toward them. Making the best use of your time, let your speech, check this out, look at this, let your speech always be what? Always be gracious. Not judgmental, not condescending, not superficial, gracious. Let it always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. And that's exactly what Daniel does. He's got wisdom, he's got grace in his speech. Put me to the test. I'll put my own life on the line. And, and, and then you, you deal with me how you see fit. He's totally putting God's word to work in his life. He's, it looks like God's testing Daniel, but really what, what hap what's happening is Daniel's testing his God, and his God is going to come through for him. That's what obedience does. It, tests, it lets you see how faithful God is when you trust him to do what he says. Uh, verse 14, so he, the servant, listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the ewes who ate the king's food. So it works. They're chubby and they're happy. They've eaten all these vegetables and they're still getting weight on. Verse 16, so the steward took away the food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And he listened to them in, this, uh, uh, in verse 17. And as for these ewes, 
As for these guys who trusted God, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Look at what God's doing. He's pouring out blessings. How do I get blessed in Babylon? Resolve, right approach, wisdom toward outsiders, making sure I'm obedient to God beyond everybody else, and God blesses Daniel, and at the end of the time, when the king had commanded they should be brought in, the, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and look with me at 19, verse 19, it's on the screen now, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. God gave them these incredible positions in Babylon because they obeyed God. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel is that shining city on a hill right in the middle of Babylon. Daniel is doing what Jesus is gonna teach his people to do 500 years later. Daniel's doing it in advance. He's blessed. How? He had resolve. He made the decision beforehand. He had the right approach. He treated people with dignity and respect and honor. And third thing that he did was that he trusted God with the results. Your job is to obey. Your job is to do what God tells you to do. And then stop. This is where a lot of Christians fail. Because we want to trust God, and then we want to make sure everything works out just in case God doesn't come through. I'll I'll trust you, God. I'll put you first here. But now, just in case, I'm going to keep my options open by doing all these other things. It was like Abraham. Abraham with with Sarah. And God said, uh, I'll give you a son through Sarah, and all the earth will be blessed. And he said, okay, that sounds like a great plan, God. And 10 years go by, and Abraham and Sarah are freaking out. And Sarah says, why don't you sleep with my maid? And Abraham is the ultimate man, and he says, okay. (laughs) What is he doing? He's trying to trust God and at the same time do all these things that are not godly to see if just in case, just in case God doesn't come through. Stop it. Trust God with the results of obeying his word. And listen, this is the hard thing because sometimes it will take years to see it happen. It might take a decade. But God blesses subsequent decades with faithfulness in previous ones. And he is not in a rush. And if you put him to the test, if you trust him, if you say, God, I know this is hard for me not to do this. It's hard for me to say no when everybody else, everybody else in my Babylon is saying, saying yes. It's hard for me to say no. And you trust, you wait. You're patient. You're going to see God come through. You're going to see God come through. So, God gives Daniel wisdom and understanding, and the second thing that God gives him, he gives him this long life. He was in the the palace until the first year of Cyrus. This is 70 years later, and by the way, four international regime changes later. Four kingdoms are going to rise and fall. Daniel's going to stay there the whole time. That's how God blesses Daniel, and he can do it for you. And he can establish you and uphold you in the sight of 
everybody else, but it will never happen. It will, listen, you, you, you're going to get to heaven by faith in Jesus. I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe that. There's no question about that. But listen, while you're waiting to get to heaven, trust God with obedience and watch him come through and bless you with rewards. Do what God wants you to do. Trust him with the results. Would you stand with me?